Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. We are discussing the power of hope, and our second guest is here with us, and his name is Chuck Collins. Chuck Collins is an attorney and former police commander. His book, Holding On to Love, Searching for Hope When a Child Dies, was written after the sudden death of his 20-year-old daughter, Tiffany Amber, as a support to other bereaved parents. Chuck is on the national board of the Compassionate Friends. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Thank you very much. It's nice to be invited here. Hi, Chuck. It's great to have you on. My fellow board member with Compassionate Friends. Yes, it's great to be in that organization. It's a great organization. So, Chuck, I'm in San Francisco. Heidi's in Manhattan and New York. And Cisco is our the person who's recording this for us, and he's in Arizona. So the power of the Internet. Wow, and you amazing. are where? <laughs> it's amazing. Where are you, Chuck? Oh, I'm in Fairfax, Virginia. Yep. Isn't Very that amazing? good. Wow. Okay, so, uh, Chuck, we want to get into talking about the power of hope a little bit. Um Talk about your daughter and, and her loss. She was in college, right? Yeah, Tiffany was uh, 19. She would have been 20 in 13 days, and uh, she was at Clemson University down in South Carolina. She just finished uh, taking her uh, final exams for the semester, and uh, I, I really had gone down to move her out of the dormitory and into a uh, apartment with three other girls. And then the following day, she drove me home, and then she got sick that night in the middle of the night. She became nauseous, and the only symptom she had was a sore throat. Hmm. And uh, in the morning, when she woke, she was very weak, and her neck began to bother her. And so, very long story short, we ended up at the hospital, and from Saturday morning until Monday night at 6 p.m., she died of meningitis, bacterial meningitis. That's unbelievable, Chuck. Yeah, it was just... You know, it was like the worst trick you could ever play on somebody because she was coming home to spend two weeks with uh, with her family and then go back for the summer semester. Incredible. Wow. And you had just been with her, and she was completely normal, right? Other than she had a sore throat, she was fine. Right. Um, she did have a sore throat. She had gone to the clinic down at campus, and they had given her something for the sore throat. And uh, so to the best I was able to determine at that point, you know, she had she'd been to see a doctor. And, uh, you know, they, they'd given her what they could. And so we were trying to wait it out. And then we got concerned when she got sick in the middle of the night that maybe this was some type of a flu that she was coming down with. Mm-hmm. So, But well, we had no, we never knew anything about uh, meningitis until they dropped those words on us the second day of the hospital. Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit because you and your wife have gone on to do some pretty great things in regards to that. But um, how, how many years ago was that? That was uh, May of 1996, so it's about 13 and a half years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this book you've written is so great because you have, I was telling Heidi and I were looking at it, I was just back in New York, and you have really covered the realm with it, which is great. And Heidi and I were thinking, kind of a man thing. You uh, you know, you've really, it's practical, and you've it covered is. a lot of well, areas. It's fantastic. It, it's such a comprehensive resource. And you've given us so much information, and it's it's such a go-to book for whatever you are looking for, basically. 
Well, you know, I remember not being able to read very much. I, I just couldn't focus on anything outside. I mean, I had to focus at work, but other than work, I just couldn't find it in me to read for very long. And so I tried to write the book for someone who has that problem. You know, I tried to put it put it in uh, in the index in a way where if you're having a particular issue, you can go to the index and look for that and just read that part of it and not have to read the whole book. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. Now, were you uh, chief of police then? Oh, I was never chief of police. Oh, you I was the commander of, of uh, in one of the districts of Washington. Oh, you were a police officer there. Yeah, I was a police commander there. That's right. I, oh, a police commander. That's the word I wanted. Were you, I were you a police commander when you your know. daughter died, Chuck? I had just retired the previous year, and she had come to my retirement party and knocked them out with her speech, and uh, it was just incredible. And fortunately, I have it on videotape, so that's one of the gifts. That's one of my greatest gifts that night. And so I was in my first year of practicing law when that happened. Mm -hmm. So you had had decided that you were going to move from police and educate yourself in the law and move on to that. You know, I'm, I, I know you found out that they could have had shots for meningitis. Wasn't that it? Yeah, that's right. I found out that uh, all they had to do was let us know that they'd had other cases of meningitis in the area and she could have had a vaccine. Yeah, and haven't you gone on to work with people on doing that, the university or whatever, make changes? Well, you know, there was litigation that resulted from this, and I think as a result of that litigation, uh, you know, we can only speculate, but we believe that that played a role in uh, what has developed now, which is now when you go to m most campuses, they have brochures up right up. Usually they're bright-colored brochures that tell you all about meningitis and the availability of a vaccine. So. So that's a great thing because we want to spread that word as much as possible and at least give people a chance to think about it and decide, you know, confer with their doctors and decide, you know, what's best for them. Yeah, because, you know, I get sore throats all the time, Chuck, and i got to tell you, I never go to the doctor. I just ignore it. So I love how you're building awareness so that students can look and see, okay, maybe these are some of the signs saying that you really do need to even go to the doctor. I know your daughter went to the doctor, but right. I don't go to the doctor for those kind of things. Right. Well, I mean, that's how Tiffany was. Tiffany was very, we, I tease about her in the book a little bit because she was a bit of a hypochondriac, although 90% of the time when she'd go, she'd be right. So she would always, mm -hmm. we'd roll her eyes at her, but she was actually right on board in terms of what she was claiming was her problem. So, uh, you know, I, I, we've tried to in, increase awareness of it, and, and I think a lot has happened. A lot of the states have adopted legislation now, which requires that you at least have to tell college students about it. They don't have to take it, but they have to be notified about the existence of this disease. And that it's a different, you know, it, it is at the college. Right. It, it, and college, dormitories, um, the military, is in, in any area where there's people are living in close quarters, um, you know, it's a potential problem area. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, Chuck, uh, tell me, now you went to Compassionate Friends. You're on the board of Compassionate Friends, and you went to Compassionate Friends after Tiffany died? We did, uh, you know, my wife was in really terrible shape, and my sister, my sister-in-law contacted us and told us about this organization that happened to be in our area. And so I took her there, and I very frankly did not want to go. It was the last thing in the world I wanted to do because to me that's a support group and counseling, and I was a retired cop, and that's the last thing we were into. So, so I didn't want to go to this at all, but we went, and we pulled into the parking lot, and even then, I had uh, reservations about it and thought about leaving, and some guy came up and tapped on my window and dragged us in, and uh, it was the best thing and that ever happened. And thank goodness it was a guy, right, saying, okay, come on, to another guy, let's go. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that really was what he did. He knew I wanted to leave, 
and right. he dragged me in there, and uh, you know, he he got us in in the door, and then once we got in the door, uh, we got an opportunity to to see other people who were suffering with the same thing, so that we knew we weren't going crazy. Because I think that's the first problem is you you're, you're experiencing so many things that you've never experienced before that you begin to wonder if you're losing it, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was the first thing, is that we were with people who could reassure us that, you know, how we were feeling was normal. Right. Well, exactly. Like and the, the, reason I, yeah. the reason I said it, thank goodness it was a guide check, is because I work for the fire department. Yes. And we found the best way to reach other firefighters, particularly after 9-11, is firefighters reaching other firefighters and saying, come on, guys, we can talk about this. Let's go in together and do that. Right. And well, I think the male firefighters, that would be, that would be true. And same with the male police officers. Right. Well, this is so important because I know there are men out there who are listening to the show and would maybe rather be on the Internet and listen, uh, because I know one of them has told me this, who his wife actually leads a chapter of Compassionate Friends, but he doesn't go, but he'll listen to the radio show. But, um, you know, uh, there are guys who would benefit from the group if you're out there. It's okay to go and be a guy, isn't it, Chuck? You know, I've been really in, encouraged in the last few years the number of men that, that go to the go to these meetings, and some of them come by themselves. We have several who, um, you know, were were divorced at the time they lost their child, and they remarried, and yet they still come back, even though their new wife may not come with them. They come back mm-hmm. and attend these meetings and continue to give back. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Continue to give back because you know, through all the good works you and your wife does, uh, her memory brings a lot into the world. Can you tell us how to get a hold of this book? It's a great resource. It's called Holding On to Love, Searching for Hope When a Child Dies. Well, the best way to get it would be off of the website, which is www.holdingontolove.com. There's a link down at the bottom where you can purchase it that way, and there's also some helpful links along the side. Uh, It's also available through Amazon and and Border or Amazon and uh, uh, iUniverse, but Compassion Friends does better if they bite off my website. So let me make that really clear. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Okay, Chuck, we wanted to talk a little bit. One thing I want to mention, there's some areas that you have in the book that I haven't seen before that I think it's good for people to look at. You talk about chat rooms. Right. I spent four years in a chat room as a moderator. And uh, it was a a very, first of all, they helped me when I was in the early days. And they really were not regulated very well back in those days. So I was lucky nothing bad happened. But now they're, at least Compassion Friends chat room is very professionally done. Pat Loader did a terrific job of uh, uh, re- redoing the website and, and putting in some security controls and training the moderators a little better so that they can handle, handle it better. But it's a nice opportunity because we have over 600 chapters in the United States of Compassion Friends, but that's not enough. And there are still some areas where it's a long drive to get to a Compassion Friends meeting, and someone that can't get there has the opportunity to get on any night of the week and go into a chat room and at least express how they're feeling to other bereaved family members. Now, did did you find some hope there? That was very helpful to me in those early days because, again, I think the first thing you have to try to get, gain some reassurance of is that you're not losing your mind. Right. That, that there could be hope that you will feel better someday. Hmm? Exactly. Exactly, that's right. And when when you can talk to other people and they can say things that are reassuring to you, and the main thing, the biggest question that we always get as chapter leaders is, will I will it ever get any better? Right. Will this pain ever not be as terrible as it is right now? And so when you can reassure them of that, that's that's 
seems to be the first question, and we always get in a uh, chapter. Right, meeting. they can lean on your on you and your hope. That's right. right. And, and there's another quick thing I want to touch on. You talk about psychics in there. You know, you have a great. That's a great little section on psychics, and I have to tell you, I haven't I haven't seen that. Well, I I did put some things in there that I thought were different because I think these are what I put in there are things that I I hear a lot about from people who are curious about it. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not really taking a position one way or the other. It's merely saying, hey, this is what we tried. Here's what happened to us. If you go to the website, the actual transcripts of two sessions are there. And, uh, the book kind of explains how they, you know, how, what happened and how we did this and that. But, uh, there's a lot of people that are very curious about the, the use of mediums. And so that, that, I felt an obligation to put that in there. I thought, and I thought a lot of people are comforted by them. And I, I think at one point in your book, with that in that chapter, you said something like, "In my, the jury is still out for me on this." Well, the jury is definitely still out for for Kathy, but uh, but I'm I, I consider myself open to the process. I've seen some pretty amazing things come out of it. Right. Yeah, and it's you know, for some people, they find it very scary. So you got to be very careful with this topic. Exactly. And, and then I, uh, in your book, you were talking about the fact that you you were very angry for five years. I was very angry at a lot of friends who I felt had just done me wrong and either said terrible things to me or left me by the wayside. And uh, so I was very angry about that, and, and I felt like we'd been deserted. And, 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 you know, it took me five years to figure out that, you know, it's really my obligation to teach them, you know, and educate them as to what it is they're doing wrong. Because a lot of these people really didn't mean to do that. They were trying to do the right thing. In other cases... They wanted to help, but they were so afraid they were going to offend me or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing that they just stayed away because, for them, they felt like they were doing less harm to do that than they were to actually risk coming and, and saying something that might hurt my feelings. So it took me a long time to figure that out, but it really is our job to educate people and let them know. And if you're a good friend, if you have good friends and your relatives really love you, they'll hang in there with you, and, and they want that kind of information. That's what they're looking for is someone that will say, look, try this or try that. Or, you know, or and I the need, best I example I can give you is a Thanksgiving where you go for Thanksgiving and no one will mention your child's name. Mm-hmm. That's very painful for a family. You know, when this is your family and you've, your child has been there for other Thanksgivings and all of a sudden your child's not there and everyone acts like nothing happened, Right. That's, that's not a good thing. Now you right. can, you got it in the appendix. It's a, com- a comfort checklist for family and friends, and you've got a list of things that people that can be done for the family. Now you could copy this and actually hand it to somebody. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I if it were family exactly members, that. or you could have some family member take this, or you know, it, it's very interesting. You go into the first month, what you can do during the wake, the first week after the funeral, during the first year. I mean, it's really a very comprehensive, great checklist. It's just um, one of those things where if if you realize it's important to them, if you really best example I can give you is after the first year or so, people forget. They don't leave anything at the cemetery. They don't send cards. They don't call. So if you can pick up the phone and call, you know, or have your relatives and friends pick up the phone and call you or mail you a card on that date and let them, let you know they remember your child and they're thinking of you. That's that is a great thing. That you really know, can lift your spirits when you're having one of those days. I'm looking at that you could go through this checklist and decide what you think is going to be important for you during these different times and let people know. That's right, and the checklist really can also be just a starting point. You can go through and X out the things that you don't you don't like and add some additional things that would help you. So it's really just a starting point for anybody that gets it to, to sit down and go over what would help and come up with a list of things and give it to your family and friends and let them know. 
Yeah, you were talking about your wife being really depressed and you're taking care of her. What about this male-female relationship? I'll tell you, I, uh, sometimes my husband was down and I was up, and I'm sure Heidi, as a sibling, came in in different ways. I mean, it's, it's a tough mesh. I mean, wow. It really is a tough mesh, and, you know, you think you know someone when you've been married to them for over 20 years, but when something like this happens, you kind of have to relearn each other because this is a totally different thing, and we all grieve very differently. And we want to say that Compassionate Friends has done a study that showed that there was not a high divorce rate after loss because <laughs> that just cr- drives me crazy when people say, oh, you know, your chances are that you're going to get divorced. You better watch out or whatever. You don't need that. You've already had a huge loss. You don't need to feel like you're... But we were told that, you know, in, in those days. We were definitely told that, and uh, so we were weary of it. But I, it seems from the statistics to actually have the opposite effect. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, which is good to know. And I think that that's one of the few comforting things that comes out of this is at least you know that this is something that can bring you, bring you closer together because you're dealing with something that's very, very personal. So, Chuck, tell me about your life now. How's it going? It's going fine. I retired from practicing law and, you know, wrote this book, and I've had the privilege of talking to a lot of people around the country who've emailed me about various topics in the book that interest them, or some people just send me an email and tell me about their child, which is awesome. I cherish every one of those. So tell me, have you found hope after loss? Uh, yes, I did, and for me, hope is keeping Tiffany in my life. Mm, I love that. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing that keeps me going is that you know, every day I get up, I put a little pin on that reminds me of her. So, And, every, and you know, it's, I, I pity the poor person who I have to run in me in the shopping mall and says, gee, what's that pin? And I could pull out her picture and tell her all about it. <laughs> so, well, so, But I enjoy talking about it. her. So for me, keeping her in her life, in my life, keeping right. pictures of her in the house, uh, keeping my family and my close friends uh, aware that, you know, she means so much to us, and you know, and to watch the things they do to remember her and to keep her in our lives. I mean, that's that's really all um, right. So, so the hope and bringing keeping people in their life. Heidi, do you want to say something before we close? No, I just wanted to say that Chuck is such a good example to the world about how we do continue bonds with people we've loved and lost. Scott and Tiffany will live on forever in our hearts and our memories, and. They're doing as much in their death as they did in their life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Chuck. It's been great. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing you at the Compassionate Friends board meeting. (laughs) Okay. Take care. Thanks, Chuck. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.